Welcome to the Dirt Reporters Podcast for the week of August 10th. And I'm your host, D-Swab, Derek Kessinger. And I'm joined, as always, by the editorial staff of Kevin Co... Oh, wait, breaking news. He's not here today, so we're getting the Hall of Famer, Todd Turner. I get to see his beautiful face on this uh, V-Mix call. Of course, you listeners won't be able to see it like I do. The Hall of Famer, Todd Turner's replacing him, filling in for Kevin Kovac. We got Robert Holman and Kyle McFadden still with us, so it's going to be a great show. Todd, the driver of the year is over. Just give the trophy to JD. Let all 100 laps at the USA Nationals. $50,000 more to his resume. It is over. Book it. He cannot race the rest of the year, and he's still going to be driver of the year, in my opinion. Okay, get back to me on Saturday on that. I mean, when Madden goes on a heater here and wins three in a row, we'll we'll have something to talk about. Um, I think we all agree, J.D., the Eldora Million sets him apart from everybody else. And so when he continues to add these 50,000 to win races, so he's won two of the last three weeks with uh, I-80 and then here at Cedar Lake, that certainly bolsters his argument. And so I, I get where you're coming from, uh, but but, you know, in 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 before times, we would just be getting rolling with the big events. So there is a lot of uh, a lot of money and a lot of excitement out there uh, all the way through even November. Um, so we'll 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 see. So you you may have to retract that or amend that, uh, or you may be perfectly uh, right if uh, Davenport keeps rolling. But uh, uh, it uh, the driver of the year stuff's always fun, and Madden and Davenport. Madden even said it in Victory Lane. At, USA Nationals the other day. It's like it seems like it's me and me and JD every race, you know, running for these big uh, money uh, paydays. So, so we'll see where it lands. Yeah, it seems like those two drivers are clear, clear favorites. They're always in the news cycle every time they unload. It seems like McCready, he's been good, but he hasn't raced the last two weeks. So you're kind of like, oh, where's he at? He's not really in the picture, but he can win two or three and get right back in. But those two are clearly the class of the field, and in my mind. Robert, on Saturday, J.D. led all 100 laps, but he switched his lines three or four times throughout that event. Turbo gets by him. A yellow comes out. Madden kind of changes his line towards the end of the race to get on the top. J.D. finds it. He was just smooth, silky throughout the 100 laps. I thought it was maybe one of his better driving uh, races he's had in a while where he was just switching his lines up, kept his composure, and led all 100 laps. Well, you know, from from what I understand, you know, he was getting some signals, which always helps. It's always good, you know. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he was getting secret signals, you know, like he was getting them inside the cockpit or something that nobody else could see. I'm just saying, you know, in a race like that, you know, if you got somebody charging at you and uh, and you're able to, to know it ahead of time, uh, it makes a huge difference if you can, you know, a lot of times, how many how many times do we hear these drivers say, "Hey, I was a sitting duck," or "or second place is the best place to be"? But but clearly, uh, things worked out into uh, you know JD's favor, where he was able to switch at the right time and make the right moves. Uh, so from from that perspective, you know, and when it comes to giving signals, first of all, I've always said that's kind of an art form. I mean, it's it's a it's a struggle. Uh, to to give signals if you're not really um, I guess familiar with the communication that you know you have to have, everybody's got to be on the same page so uh, so for a team to go out there and and uh, and really 
function like that, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, uh, is excellent beyond, uh, which we know Jonathan Davenport can drive a race car. So beyond his ability to drive a race car, we know that that he, uh, that team specifically is functioning at a high level right now. And they, again, showed it at Cedar Lake. You know, I don't know what we're going to do to, what, what somebody's going to have to do to upset them on a regular basis i mean they can be outran every every night of the week but but to to actually can they be outran every night of the week i don't know they can be outran any night of the week but i'm not sure they can be outran every night of the week yeah for sure um he's been dominant like you said i think it's true it's like uh artwork and when somebody is doing the you know signaling and stuff like that that you know hey do you trust this guy is he really this close so i thought that was uh he gave credit to uh those guys in victor lane saying hey they gave me the right gave me the good signals at the right time we made our moves there my cause of concern is kyle are we in trouble on these hunter lap races prairie dirt classic he led all 100 uh firecracker 100 t-mac led all 100 i mean hell the dirt million he led all but two laps when T-Mac got by him, and then this week he leads all 100. Is this a cause of concern for the quality of racing that we're having all these guys lead these 100 lappers and we're not seeing uh, these vintage lead exchanges and lead swaps like we're used to in the last couple of years? Yeah, um, I'm not sure. You know, I've been thinking about that too, just kind of noticing, I don't know, maybe a little bit of a trend. You'd like to think that, you know, longer races create more opportunities, right, for for comers, but uh, I'm not sure. I think it also says a lot really just about JD's just race management and just really where his race program is right now specifically. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, he, he's so good right now um, in these long distance races and knows how to pace himself. And uh, Brandon Shepard, right, too, you know, hats off to him at Fairbury during the Prairie Dirt Classic. You know, and so you just kind of go down the list, I guess, of these performances. And um, I think really breaking it down and compartmentalizing each race into, uh, you know, just how each driver got to victory. Um, and, you know, that's certainly no light feat to do, especially in those longer distance races. Um, but I-80, for instance, right, I totally thought that Tim McCready had, uh, you know, that one in the bag, and then Jonathan Davenport, you know, came on late there. And, you know, there's quite a bit of those longer-distance races to come, you know, like for the rest of the year. You know, we still got two big races at Eldora next month. And as far as driver of the year, I I don't think personally, you know, J.D. has it locked up. Uh, You know, Chris Madden, you know, when the dream gets back going, I think on lap 14 or 15, you know, he's the leader obviously for that. And, uh, and then you also have the world too, um, in the weekend after that. So, um, you know, say if Chris Madden wins both of those, I think we're having a different conversation this time next month, in my opinion. Um, as far as I don't think JD has it completely locked up, but I think if JD gets, in my opinion, if he wins two more, of these crown jewels to end the year, then I think, yes, Derek, I think he, he has it locked up. But if Chris Madden, if he gets two more or both at Eldora, I think, uh, you know, some of the bigger races to end the year, end of September into October, 
um, could decide that driver of the year race, in my opinion. Well, we'll look back on uh, August 10th of 2022, and if I'm wrong that JD is not going to win driver of the year, then he can blame me. Well, congrats, Chris Madden, for getting hot at the end of the end of the year there. Todd, just I thought at one point my co-host was finally going to win a crown jewel there. Uh, he had a whale of a race there. Really, in these crown jewels, he's performed okay, but not like being that close. I feel like that was just like, one-time shiny moment so far in his career to date that he was going to get the job done. He took the lead there. The yellow came out, and then he could just never find that momentum there. But Tyler Herb was oh, oh, so close. For a guy that's had some good wins, but he hasn't got to that upper echelon of, like, what Shepard and Pierce has done. Yeah, he was he was definitely trying to spoil the party between Davenport and Madden there. Yeah. And, and that is one of those things with that caution and with him – kind of trading sliders with JD there. It just never quite fell in his favor. Uh, and as y'all talked about the signaling, uh, Madden was was quite complimentary of Durham for giving such specific signals to get to get JD in the right place to avoid, you know, uh, Urban Madden from taking him, uh, overtaking him. But uh, uh, yeah, Tyler, uh, Tyler's going to get one someday. Uh, you know, maybe th- this was a, a tall task uh, chasing those two guys. Uh, but he's kind of turned things around. He had a pretty bad lull here in the summer. Uh, but with Prairie Dirt and uh, USA Nationals, uh, maybe things are on the upswing for him uh, heading to the north-south here. He had a good run. Let's see if he can – he already, like, waves a white flag, though, when he goes to Florence. He says he has no chance ever to beat Josh Rice. So he's he's guaranteed to run second because he's already given the trophy to Josh Rice, which we will get to here in a second. Uh, Robert, any just final uh, nuggets you saw from Cedar Lake or uh, anything like that? Uh, not necessarily uh, from Cedar Lake, of course. You know, a, uh, the, the race that I was actually really tuned into was the uh, Vir- uh, Virginia uh, Motor Speedway situation, uh, or not situation. It wasn't a situation then. It's a situation uh, now. Uh, uh, so I was uh, – uh, covering that race uh, from afar, I, I watched that, and it was a it was a good show actually. And uh, now, of course, we have uh, a whole uh, tire dispute and discrepancy, and uh, where uh, the the winner, Chris Ferguson, has been has been disqualified uh, for that. So, uh, so which is very unfortunate. It's it's unfortunate for Chris. It's unfortunate for uh, for the Ultimate Series, and it's unfortunate for the sport in general. So. Uh, that's that's really what I was paying attention to, uh, not only um, last weekend, but I've also been paying attention to that uh, early in this week as well. Yeah. So explain it to me, like I'm 12. What exactly happened there to the you know the people listening at home? Just uh, apparently you just had the wrong tire on, and the, they like kind of switched the tire rule. That's what I was kind of reading up for that. Uh, well, you know, from, from what I understand, he did have a D 70. It was the right compound. Uh, it was, uh, uh, from what I understand, it's, it was not chemically altered or anything like that. Uh, but from, from what I understand is that, uh, the tire itself, uh, was just not, uh, not the right D 70. Uh, and I don't have the numbers right here in front of me, but it was not from the, the correct batch. And it was not from and from what uh, from what uh, I think uh, Kelly Carlton also told me the tire was supposed to be marked. Uh, it's supposed to be marked D70 and have late model on it. And it did not have late model stamped on it either. 
So that's, um, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate, uh, you know, from, from all sides, it's, it's cause it all could have been avoided. Uh, from what I understand, there was a, a tire truck there that, uh, where Chris and them could have got a tire from, and, uh, it could have been avoided that way. Uh, it could have been avoided if, uh, I guess if the, the tech guys had, had pointed it out before the race started, it could have been avoided that way. There are so many, I think, I think everybody is, in my opinion, everybody is kind of, uh, looking back and pointing fingers now, of course, which is natural, but at the same time, I think everybody is probably saying, should be saying what, what could we have done to avoid this situation altogether? Cause I can assure you, no one wants a situation like this ever, ever, ever. So it's, uh, the driver doesn't want it. The fans don't want it. The, the series, certainly, uh, you know, those guys don't want it. So, uh, you know, it's not like they were, they were picking on Chris. Uh, I just feel like, I feel like again, from, from the, the messages I've got, you know, from Kelly and from, uh, from the statement that Chris had, I feel like that, uh, uh, Kelly felt like they were doing the right thing. You know, they, that didn't come from this particular batch and, um, and it didn't have this particular stamp and that's, that's the end of it. So, uh, again, it's very unfortunate. Yeah. Heartbreak hotel for team 22 there out of Mount Holly, North Carolina. And just a bad, bad circumstance there. 20 grand rip from you is never going to be a, never going to be a good thing. And I know that the series directors and the people higher ups and definitely did not want to do that. But on a lighter note, Kyle, you were at Merritt, the wood tick, beautiful country up there. The great North, I call it Uh, no phone service. As I told you last week, I don't know how you got some updates uh, out of that place, but Spangler with the big time win, uh, $34,000 payday career high. He had 50,000 up at Cedar Lake, 34,000 there. Good win for him. He dominated that race there after he got by Moran, and he was checked out. But then kudos to Ryan Unzik are starting dead last, getting all the way up to second or third. He had a good run as well. But it was overall a good weekend up there at the Wood Tick. Yeah, no, totally. Great car count. I mean, the place is absolutely jammed out. I mean, they had cars lined up on the side of the road, on the shoulder, parked for um, both ways in, or into the entrance of the Speedway for a good bit, a good length. And, uh, yeah, no, they – absolutely had um a great weekend in terms of of turnout and the race itself was good you know and uh it's especially impressive and for for, for spangler to win it in the fashion that he did because he came came from 12th right and uh you know 12th to the lead on lap 27 um and uh didn't take him all but one move to just get by Devin moran too um so you know that win for him uh impressive and uh he was due too you know you have to remember he lost that race last year coming out of the final corner to rusty schlank uh and then he also on july 23rd you know lost it also in the final corner um don't say that, that four letter word world hell tour word race okay? don't say that four letter word here, that? okay we're not uh, the four letter word yeah no that was uh yeah, people can go back and listen to that if they want to. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, no. Um, so he was obviously due, and he left no doubt this time. And so it's, it was just interesting. I had never – that was my first, obviously, uh, Michigan 
race experience and um you could tell on the streams and stuff that Spangler, you know, he, he had been one of the more uh distinguished drivers um from Michigan. His track record speaks for itself. Uh but in terms of like fan reaction and the emotions, I guess he drew from the crowd itself, you know, the driver intros because before that race, you know, they introduced every driver and obviously each driver has their own ovation to some kind. And I don't think I've ever really witnessed an ovation like Spangler's before that race, just the, the booze and the cheers and the, some kind of noise seemed like was coming from everybody (laughs) up in the sands. So um, I thought that, uh, and then just the way that he wanted and, got the victory lane and, and, and got out so fast that the car hadn't really came to a complete stop, I guess, because it, it, it rolled down the slope because like the victory lane is like hilled or it's like sloped and the car starts rolling down the hill and he's on top of it, you know, celebrating, hoisting the $34,000 check and just going, you know, nuts. Um, as would I too. And the car, you know, rolls, rolls down the slope and he, uh, I was like, Oh my God, you know, and then he bulldozes a, uh, concrete pillar, uh, at the end of victory lane and that thing's knocked over and he's going tumbling off the front end and they push the car back up the victory lane slope and he gets back up on top again and kind of does a, a take two for the celebration. <laughs> I just kind of asked him about the, how he's like received, uh, in Michigan and he doesn't, care people boom he doesn't care you know he cares obviously about the people that you know support him but on the other end of that he doesn't care as long as there's some kind of reaction and that people are paying attention you know somehow you know if he's drawing uh a reaction of some kind so um you know i did a story on him and uh, he's just in a different character and um after talking with him and stuff i appreciate you know just uh, guys like him in the sport, right? Who uh, you know, he builds his own motors and stuff, and uh, you know has worked hard to you know get to where he was on Saturday. So, uh, but yeah, no, it was a great weekend. Um, you know, Jeep Van Warmer. I did a little little story on him on Saturday. Yeah, he started on the pole and and didn't last very long up front. Came eleventh, gave it a run. Uh, it's his second win if you count that. Uh, on Friday during the prelim nights over the past four years. So it was good to see him get back in the victory lane. And uh, yeah, Devin Moran came second. Uh, Ryan Unzicker, 22nd to third, had to take a provisional. And if he would have started up up front, maybe perhaps more toward the front, because he was leading his heat race or, uh, yeah, his heat race on Friday to get into the semi-feature, and he broke on lap four. So, uh, for him to come up, you know, through the field as in the way he did on Saturday, you know, you would have had to think that he would have had something for Spangler, but, you know, looking back on it, I don't think, you know, you can play the hypothetical games all you want. I think Spangler, uh, was destined and, uh, was absolutely unquestionably, you know, the car to beat. So it was good. It was a good weekend up in Merritt, you know, minus the no phone service and getting out of the track at. 3.30 to 4 o'clock in the morning. Welcome to Dirt on Dirt. That's like your official, like, initiation, Getting the, leaving the track at 3.30. Yeah. Had to, uh, on Sunday, wrote my 
you know, story uh, to complete the race wire. Left the track at 3.30 and had to get to the airport at 5.30. So no sleep there. And then flight got canceled back home or over to Iowa. Um, so didn't sleep again until uh, late Sunday night. So it was a long weekend, but it was good. So it was fun. You had great coverage there. So appreciate your hard work. And, yeah, sometimes you get those late nights and then a cancellation on top of it. Not ideal. Speaking of Spangler, though, he's like the Scott Bloomquist up in Michigan. They cheer for him, boo for him. He also won a World Outlaw race there at Merritt in August of 2016. Todd, really quick about Michigan. It's like the Jurassic Lost World up there. They're just constantly racing up there. They never really travel down. You know, they might go to Indiana or like Kankakee for like summer national races, but they're like their own little world and pocket of late model racing, which I appreciate it because they don't get enough love sometimes. And the racing sometimes, usually for the most part, is pretty good. Yeah, definitely. It's always been, yeah, except Eldora, they'll kind of creep to, but really you don't, they are in their own little pocket up there. I think this race, uh, you know, it's always been a thing. The wood tick's been around forever, but usually used to pay four or 5,000, you know, it was a minor race money-wise. And now recent years, uh, you know, with these, you know, Mike Blackmer's making it more than 30000 to win, uh, it really is drawing more attention. And I think that upper crust of Michigan guys, uh, they're, they're a little better than they, than they were some years ago. Uh, now, you know, you have something to talk about, and those guys can compete. Of course, Rushy Schlink is a Michigan native and, and one of those guys who now uh, – lives in Ohio, but that, 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 uh, upper crust of Michigan, uh, driver, uh, it's a quality bunch and, uh, uh, they're going to do best right there in Michigan. Uh, but they, uh, they can, um, head down to some other States and, and give people a little trouble. I will say Devin Shields, the, the Brit Michigan driver was having a particularly good year. I don't yeah, think he's yeah. been out of the top five at Attica and in an Oak shade, he's right in contention, I think for another title. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, the Michigan guys are uh, uh, often unheralded, but uh, but they have uh, uh, they have some pride in uh, in what they do up there. And Spangler got to make a, a big uh, statement this week this weekend. They're also huge hunt from the front fans because when me and Joshua Joyner went up there in 2020, he signed more autographs than Jason Fager and other other drivers that were the in attendance. So shout out to the uh, creator of this show, Joshua Joyner, getting all those autographs back in 2020. Huge hunt for the front fans they are at the Wolverine State. Well, this past or this weekend, we're done. See ya. Bye bye. Oh, we have another big race. The month of money continues. This weekend, live on Flow Racing, we'll have highlights, we'll have full stories and blogs. Todd Turner will be there, so that'll be great. $75,000, the richest payday for the North-South 100 at Florence Speedway this weekend. And Robert, you might as well just give the check to Josh Rice. I mean, all these people on social media, they're saying this guy is going to win it. He's going to shock the world when all these national guys come in. Or is it really shocking the world because he is so damn good at Florence? He's only lost one time this year to T-Mac earlier this season. So everybody's just saying Josh Rice this, Josh Rice that. I, uh, I He's definitely due to win this race. Uh, you know, it's not like he's never won a Lucas race. Uh, he won the Ralph Latham uh, two years running now. Uh, so so he's definitely due for to win this one maybe. But I'm not giving him the check yet by any stretch. Um, I think that if you look back through 
through history. First of all, he's got to prove that he can keep, you know, the the right rear um, tire on it, the right rear uh, spoiler on it for a hundred laps, which is what you know everybody says and talks about his driving style, and um, that's first and foremost. But you know, you look back through history. Scott Bloomquist, there are only three guys who have won the Ralph Latham and the North-South in the same season. Jeff Purvis didn't do it. Scott Bloomquist didn't do it. Billy Moore didn't do it. The three guys, the last person to win the Ralph Latham and the North-South in the, in the same year was Jonathan Davenport in 2015. Then prior to that, 2012, Don O'Neill did it. And then you have to go way back to 1992 which I was at the Ralph Latham in 1992 uh, when Jack Boggs won, and then he he backed that up by winning uh, the North-South. So the other thing is you look at all these guys who have won the Ralph Latham, uh, I guess most of them have been national guys going back, really back to 2007 when Steve Casebolt won the Ralph Latham. Uh, from then forward, it's been nothing but national guys. So Josh Rice is the first really local, big time standout that has an opportunity to opportunity to do this. He he's got he he's got it right there in front of him, and, and he is by far. I, I, it's really been for almost like three years running now. He he's he is the guy to beat. Uh, I was a little skeptical, like three two or three years ago when he was winning all those races, you know, he would win every time Florence was open. I was a little skeptical, but he just keeps doing it. He keeps backing it up. So because he keeps doing that, because he did finally break through and win the Ralph Latham in 2020, uh, 2021, and then back that up again this year, uh, you have to think that that he could very well be on the verge of breaking through and getting that that big time payday with the North-South 100 as well. And uh, and he did finish top five last year, I think, like fourth or something like that. So he was around fifth, whatever he was around at the finish. So, you know, you, if you're around at the finish in one of them, it, it makes you think that he could be around at the finish and maybe improve on that a little bit this year. Kyle, how do you think Josh Rice is feeling this weekend, like pressure-wise? Obviously, he's been unstoppable the last two or three years as – Robert said, winning virtually every time he's unloaded. He's only lost once. Hell, three weeks ago, he started dead last and won the race. So this guy is a wizard here. But you've got to be feeling a little pressure. That's the biggest race. All your family and friends have been talking about it. Like, hey, imagine if you win this weekend. Like, we have a chance to win this. We have a shot to win this. All up $75,000. How do you think he's feeling this week? You know, I would um, – it's interesting you know, to be in his shoes and, and going into this weekend, knowing that we've been talking about this and, you know, talking about him um, in this race coming up off and on on the podcast and in our fast talks and stuff and, and passing. So, I mean, he, he, he'd probably be lying if he said he wasn't feeling any sort of pressure. I mean, I would, right? You know, I mean, these moments as racers, especially in his shoes, you know, this is the one that he circles on his calendar every year. He knows what he has going into that speedway. Obviously, it's a different animal, you know, being 100 laps. And I was looking through the history just now, and I don't think he's led a lap in this race ever. Um, but he's got three heat wins in the event since 2018, so three of the last four years. So uh, he did finish fifth uh, last year, Robert. 
Uh, it was Brandon Overton, Tim McCready, Jonathan Davenport, Jimmy Owens, and Josh Rice. So obviously, you know, you're going to have to go through the gauntlet to pace the field, lead the field, get to where he needs to be. You know, 100 laps is obviously way different than 30 or 50. Can he win it up top the duration of, of the race? Yeah, but, you know, he's going to have to be flawless up there, right? I think you mentioned, Derek, before we started the show that Bobby Pierce was the last to win the race, primarily using the top uh, in 2016. Obviously, that adds an, an element to it, too, you know, Um and really just, just how the track is going to drive, I guess, come Saturday night, right? Um, I guess we really don't know what that's going to look like, truthfully, um, until about future time. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, he, he's, he's, he's probably feeling or will feel um, kind of the intensity kind of ramp up toward race time, as is any other driver going into a big race or, um, you know, that uh, they know that um, they can win or, or, or is a talked about favorite and like whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, I think uh could be his weekend, but, you know, as I said, I don't think he's let a lap in this race, which is odd, but, um, you know, too, it, 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 you know, that could obviously change this weekend. So um, we'll have to see how everything shakes out um, on the prelim nights and, 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 and see what, you know, where he stands going into Saturday. Yeah, no doubt. I'm sure everybody at his race shop all week, family and friends coming in like, man, imagine if we win this, like you've been so good there. So I'm sure he's feeling a little bit, but he is a wizard there. We'll have to wait and see, see how the prelims do, but I don't care where he's going to start. He has definitely a chance of winning it. He's been so damn good there. Todd in 2016, Kyle said Pierce won on the top. 2017, T-Mac passes Bloomquist on lap 96 on the top. Afterwards, Scott Bloomquist says, looks like the only way you can win this race is, is beating the boards down, and that's the only way you can win the North-South 100. Well, ever since then, Ricky Weiss, Chris Madden, Tim McCready, and Brandon Overton, all guys running the middle bottom. And Josh King said yesterday, oh, yeah, that's kind of fa a fallacy there. You don't have to win on the top, as you can see in recent years. He also says, Josh Rice, I don't know if he can manage his stuff for 100 laps. So when you have the owner of the track saying, hey, I watch this guy every single week, I don't think he, he – he can have a good run, but I think it's going to be very, very tough for him to win this race. Your response to Josh King is what, Todd Turner? <laughs> um, I mean, I think he's he's right. I think Bloomquist was probably a little uh, – you know, he, he was talking about getting beat on the top when he predicted it would never be won anywhere else. Uh, now, Josh Rice definitely runs a line there that I'm not sure anybody else can do. You know, he and o uh, Hudson O'Neill traded sliders multiple times uh, two years ago in the Latham Memorial. And so Hudson kind of tried to keep up with Rice. But Rice has that, you know, it is the high line, but it's more the way he can cut through the corners and maintain his momentum better than other guys. Uh, you know, I don't know. Th that's the big question, right? Could Rice last 100 laps? I, I would sit here right now and say I will be surprised, if not shocked, if Rice doesn't win one of these two preliminary nights, I, a 25 lapper, if he's starting in the top, you know, four or five, I just think he's going to be hard to beat in any of those nights. Those are, those are, those are right for Josh Rice nights. Now the hundred lapper is a, uh, is a whole nother deal. And I think that's what, uh, that's what Rice, when you talk about the pressure, the pressure of him is like, 
how do I figure out to make my car go 100 laps and run the line that I know is faster than other people? Because the last couple of years, that's the thing, the McCready and Overton, those guys are just like, just coming off the corner and running, you know, running a safe part of the track. They're not, they're not a threat to damage their car as much as Rice for sure. And then also that line, uh, at least the way the track develops, seems to get faster. You know, when you kind of come, come off the bottom and into the middle, uh, like Overton and McCready are just so good at doing. Uh, and it's really going to kind of be everybody against Josh Rice. I mean, ever will which line will 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 do it? Uh, now Pierce can run up high. Turbo can run up high, and some guys can do stuff like that. But but I think it's Rice is the one, you know, especially having the home track fans behind him that everyone will have eyes on uh, all weekend, but particularly come Saturday night. Yeah, the Super Nintendo Mario Kart, Mario GP, the Grand Prix track, if you hit that line perfectly, you're going to have the fastest lap. So if Josh Rice can constantly – hit that uh that sweet spot on top there. He is very tough to beat. Robert, one more thing about the North-South this year. A little bit of different formats there where we're having two features, splitting the fields both nights to set up the heat races for Saturday. So uh, we have the race on Thursday, or Thursday, Friday, the prelim features, I should say. Sorry about that. That's going to be pretty cool just for guys to make some money there in those prelim features. I know it's not a lot, but it's still better than just uh, racing heat races and not getting anything at all. I think it's uh it's, it's good that everyone is going well not necessarily everyone but it it gives more people opportunities to race uh regardless of how much money you make I'm not going to get into that argument saying everybody needs to make x amount of money but it it gives more people opportunities and that's uh and that's as a racer that's really what you want. You want an opportunity. You want to know that you're, you're going to go and you're going to have an opportunity to get out there and 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 uh, and make some money, whether it be about four hundred dollars or five thousand, whatever. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it is cool. I do like it. The fact that uh, you know, I am a fan though. Honestly, I'm a fan of. I think you know, Batesville's going back to the old way. I think right. So I do like that uh, as well. You know, I like the. Two day shows. I'm old school guy. Get in, get out. Get those shows on. Uh, those those long nights uh, at the tracks on Thursdays and Fridays with those multiple features can kind of wear on you. But as a racer, though, when you're sitting there working on your car and and getting your stuff prepped and that sort of stuff, that's uh, uh, I really feel like that uh, that the opportunities that you have to get the track time and stuff are invaluable, regardless of how much money you make. Winner and dark horse, Kyle. Who do you think? Oh, good question. Um, uh, my gut, you want to pick Josh Rice, but I think Tim McCready, you know, I think, you know, he's uh, taken what the last two weeks off now and, and he's been um, especially good, you know, in these long distance races here of late. We obviously know, you know, you can always count on McCready, right, in these long distance races to at least be in position or at least maximize whatever he has going into the main event. Um, and so I'm going to say a T-Mac as my winner and uh, Dark Horse. Oh, geez. You know, I think Dark Horse um, can be subjective in terms of, you know, what do you classify a Dark Horse? Um, I'm going to have to go 
Hudson O'Neill? Is that a okay dark horse? You know, even though he's won his fair share of races this summer, um, I'm going to go Hudson. So you're picking the hottest guy that's raced this last month in Hudson O'Neill as your dark horse. I like it. Bold move there. <laughs> hey, he's never won though. He's never won a you know Ralph Latham or uh, North South 100. So we can go with that. I like it. He finished seventh there back at the June race at Florence that Josh Rice won. I'm going dark horse, Garrett Alberson. He finished third there at the Ralph Latham. I feel like that driving style around the top on the cushion, he's pretty good at. So I think Garrett Alberson will be a dark horse. And I'm going to say my winner, he could arguably be a dark horse because, you know, he's kind of been lost in the shuffle here the last uh, this, this year. He's kind of ranked in the 20th. Uh, high teens most of the season. I'm going to go with Jimmy Owens. Uh, He's going to get the job done. Listen to this stat. Uh, The last 12 North-South 100s, he's finished in the top five nine times, including two wins. So I'm going with the Osho, Jimmy Owens, kind of shocking the world a little bit, getting uh, back to his mojo and getting a big win there, Todd. I think think Jimmy Owens is going to win it. Well, he he was uh, a good bet there for a few years, but it's now been eleven long years since he's won there, which is which is hard to believe because it seemed like for a while there he was right, uh, right in the mix uh, up front. I guess I guess I, I like Kyle's pick. I mean, McCready just seems to me like he just you know having a little time off here. These other guys have been racing a lot, and I don't think that's going to hurt him to show up here have his car ready to go at a track where clearly he uh, hasn't figured out uh, and win the race. Um, Dark Horse, I I agree. Dark Horse is a little tricky at at Florence because to me, you kind of have Overton, McCready, and Rice, and maybe everybody else is a Dark Horse. Uh, I I guess I'll go with Ricky Thornton, who I guess he was second in the Latham. He seems like he could be uh, a guy that could win here. You know, he, he, he and Anthony Burroughs hooked up at this race last year at this time. So they've been together one year. So they may, maybe they can celebrate their uh, their anniversary <laughs> together by winning uh, the North-South. I'd be okay with RTJ getting a, another crown jewel uh, added to his uh, belt of crown jewels. I like him as to be a cool winner to see. Robert, what are you thinking, buddy? I know you're uh, you're always good at these picks, so I want to see who you got. So maybe I can bet some money on them this weekend. Well, I mean, honestly, Todd got both of mine. Uh, I really felt like you know, I really feel like T Mac is is the guy to beat going in here. It's how do you pick against Davenport? Actually, I don't know, um, but uh, I really feel like my gut is saying is saying Tim McCready. And uh, when I was just searching for a dark horse, I'm looking, you know, and, you know, uh, Ricky Thornton Jr. finished 10th last year in this race, and he finished second in the Ralph Latham uh, this year. So I think that's a uh, it's kind of a good safe dark horse, really. I think it's a really good pick by by Todd. Uh, so I'm going to change my dark horse just for, for the heck of it. And I'm going to say uh, your guy, your partner in crime, your co-host, Tyler Herb gets it done this weekend because he's going to be banging the boards and, and pick up a uh, pick up a win at at Florence. That's my uh, that's my dark horse. I like it. I like it. Co-host for life. Turbo getting the big uh, se- uh, upset special dark horse, as we say loosely in the sport, uh, getting the win there. So Tyler Herb is Robert's dark horse, and then T Mac. So I think that. Uh, JD and Chris Madden might use this uh, 
segment is bulletin board material going into the weekend because none of us pick those two guys. They'll be very tough to beat as well. But Josh King, he just is praying and hoping it doesn't rubber. That's what he always thinks right before the green flag starts. So can't wait for that. Check out every lap live at Flow Racing and cool all the stories by these three guys and blogs and stuff like that from the 40th annual North South 100. All right. Eric, as well. Eric. I'll just be happy. I'll just be happy if uh, Davenport and Madden listen to this podcast. Oh wow! Sure you know they're driving. They're, sure. up, they're going up and down the road. I'm, they might I'm not, I'm not sure about bulletin board material, but I'll just be happy if they tune in. All right. Well, as always, we end the show. Is one more thing. I'll come right back to you, Robert. What do you got? I I want to give a. Uh, I, it's kind of a personal thing. I want to give a shout out to a uh, a person who helped us. Um, this past weekend, we went to we headed to Fort Payne to run a UCRA uh, crate race, and our truck broke down. And uh, and it's uh, getting there are still good people in the world. Uh, I saw I think Ben Shelton maybe posted something about him having some car trouble or something the other day, and it made me think there are still good people out there. Uh, our truck broke down on the way uh, to Fort Payne, Alabama, and we're sitting on the side of the road. And of course, we have an open trailer, and and uh, as a person pulls up, and he's wearing a this guy's wearing a Lucas Oil late model, you know, dirt shirt or whatever. And uh, so he asked where we're going. You go, you guys going to Fort Payne? Of course, we were about thirty miles away, uh, and he was headed up there to race. I'm not I'm not right. He was headed up there to watch with his uh, with his kids, and uh, and so uh they him and my brother fiddled around with the truck for a while and, and never could get it get it going and finally he's like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna pull i'm going that way i'm gonna pull you up there anyway so so i'm like okay that's great that's it's really nice uh his name is eric holcomb uh he he pulls us uh he pulls us all the way to fort Payne. we get about a mile from the track and the bottom just falls out and it and it rains and and the race is canceled and uh so what does he do well, he turns around and hauls us all the way back to where our trailer was, uh, where our truck was, uh, and and left us uh, left us there, which was really nice because then we had. But by that point, we had someone coming to to get us, you know, to pick us up and uh, haul our trailer home and stuff. So, uh, there are still good people in in the world out there. So, uh, thank you to Eric Holcomb, is a, a race fan from Alabama who uh, who happened to uh, to come along and and see us and offer to help and and if we'd raced if we had not rained that night you know we would have got to race thanks to him so thank you always great when you see the racing community and other people help out racers so that's a that's a cool story there robert kyle how about you buddy what do you got for one more thing i know you're on the road grinding headed to the knoxville sprint car nationals the second biggest race at that racetrack what do you got yeah, the Chris Ferguson deal was going to be my one more thing, but Robert gladly touched on that and ex- explained wow. it very well. I don't, I don't know if we, you know, touched on the winner, but I think Russell Irwin, you know, takes now takes home that you know twenty thousand dollar victory. I think that's his first win of the year. I think so. Um, obviously, probably not the way that he wants to get that check or worth a mention there for him. But yeah, no, I'm in Knoxville this week. Um, covering the nationals for flow. So um, cool opportunity there, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we mentioned that Russell Irwin was credited with the victory at BMS, which, uh, you know, was unfortunate um, set of circumstances and just the way that that played out as Robert described. 
yes, he's probably not inside happy, but knowing that he's going to get twenty thousand dollars will uh, make, make sweeten it up a little bit for him. So congrats to him. My one more thing is I want to give a shout out to Shane Clayton on his win Monday at Superior. Seems like he's feast or famine this year. Seems like he'll go in stretches where he's in the teens and twenties and like you know eighth or ninth for a month. Well, since like June fourteenth, he's won three races, one forty. Uh, won a World of Valor race, and then he won $20,000 at Superior. So I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to Shane Clayton. Kind of having uh, getting these wins at certain times in his uh, the season that he needs them. So Clayton, uh, four wins on this season. I think it's probably one of his better seasons he's had in the last couple of years. And I know for payout-wise for the big races, it definitely is. So shout-out to the Georgia Bulldog. That is why, one more thing, Shane Clayton picking up the win Monday night at Superior. Todd, finish it strong for us, buddy. Just a reminder that the National Dirt Hall, Late Model Hall of Fame inducts its class of 2022 this weekend at Florence during the North-South. And that'll be five drivers, uh, two Iowa guys, Brian Burkhofer and Steve Boley. Uh, Ohio driver Bart Hartman will join his father, Butch, in the Hall of Fame. And then a couple of Indiana guys that I saw race uh, eight million times in my career, uh, Mike Jewell and Don O'Neill. Uh, it'll be fun to see those guys. We're, you know, the Hall of Famers these days are kind of the guys who are, you know, right in my wheelhouse of the guys I saw uh, throughout uh, much of my career. Uh, and then also, don't forget the contributors. So the late Dick Beebe, uh, who ran newspapers and promoted races up in Michigan. Uh, and then the, both the national touring announcers are going to come in together. Uh, it's funny. I saw the, uh, I saw the, the list about all the duties for the weekend. And James has to set up the microphone and stuff, uh, James Essex, for when he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. So I, I like that he has to do a few duties before he actually gets inducted. So James Essex uh, of Please Stay Green fame. And then Rick Eshelman, of course, of the World of Outlaws. Uh, James with the Lucas Oil Series, of course. Neat, to, neat that all those guys get in along with those drivers. And uh, they'll probably have to pry the microwave microphone away from Eshelman and Essex so somebody else can talk. So um, anyway, congratulations to all those guys. Uh, cool cool weekend at Florence and the Hall of Fame to, to have that uh, be part of the North-South weekend. Yeah, I just want to give a shout out to all those guys as well for making it to the Hall of Fame. Congrats. And I have Marty campaigning for 2023, Todd Turner for contributor. So there's my say on that. Uh, as always, a great show with you three. Todd, thank you for filling in, and we missed your beautiful face on this show. So anytime we get you as a sub, we'll take it uh, take it, and make a great uh, performance for our audience listening, not watching, right, Robert? So just uh, until next time, get all the north-south uh, Florence coverage. We have every lap there. We have other races as well. Make sure you check out all the blogs, stories by these guys, and live updates from the North South 100, dirtondirt.com, and Fall Racing. Subscribe to both. If you actually, if you sub- sub- subscribe to Dirt on Dirt, you get flow. So if you want to get both and make moves, is that right, Todd? I think I said that right. All right, good. So we got yes. that. You subscribe to Dirt on Dirt, you get Flow Racing as well. So if you're listening to this, make sure to rescribe, and then you can get that. Until next time, next week, this is the Dirt Reporters. Thank you for listening. 